Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all on Keeping Up With The Current. Get your news fix for the day, stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on Keeping Up With The Current. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, working age people with disability are twice as likely to be unemployed compared to other Australians. Research tells us that our disability employment rate is much lower than we'd all like it to be. These are the very people who want the same opportunities as all Australians to reach their full potential through participation in the workforce. Despite that, they still face barriers to employment, even though they have a broad range of skills and capabilities that can really make a difference. So what can we do to narrow that disability employment gap? To help us unpack this issue, I'm on the phone with Andrew Fairbairn, the President of Physical Disability Australia, who has worked tirelessly in the disability sector for many years now. He brings with him years of experience from government positions to NGO roles and running his own business around building the capacity of people with disability in his local community. As a below-knee amputee, he understands the struggles that people with disabilities face in the employment sector. Andrew, it's great to have you on 2MFM's Keeping Up With The Current. Thank you very much for having me. So Physical Disability Australia has released a statement which calls on the Labor government to ensure that people with disabilities are given a voice at the upcoming Jobs and Skills Summit in September. Why is Physical Disability Australia advocating for employment barriers for disabled people to be on the summit's list of priorities? Um, Thank you for that question. Basically, what we're talking about is approximately 21 million working age people um, live with a disability in Australia, but only 53% of them are actually in the labour force compared to 84% of people without a disability. Mm. So what we're asking for is literally representation at that table. So quite clearly, those numbers tell us that Australia's employment of people with disabilities is still incredibly low. I mean, there are a lot of people uh, living with a disability that are eager to work. Many possess the skills. Others haven't had the chance to build on those skills. So what are some of the barriers that they face uh, trying to get into the workforce? Probably the biggest barrier is the misconception that people with disabilities, um, are they take more time off. They are not, um, they can't be trained to do specific jobs, things like that. So it's basically just perception of what what employers look at um, in in the space of of taking on a person with a disability. But there is statistics out there showing that people with disabilities take less time off work. They're more committed to the job. They last longer in jobs that they actually enjoy and because because they want to be at work. So the main barriers to employment really stem from attitudes and, you know, at times discrimination. There are employers that, uh, as you said, hold negative attitudes about employing people with a disability. Many times employers see that hiring someone with a disability as an optional or, or charitable act. They don't see that these people can make significant contributions to the workplace and society in general with their diverse set of skills. And among the the misconceptions that they hold is that people with 
a disability, don't possess any skills or talent. So what needs to be done to change that, to change those perceptions? I think like what what employers can do is is actually sit down and and talk to the people with disabilities when they when they do apply for those jobs, and we look at CVs and things like that. But that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. So given the opportunity to interview for a job, and to be able to to match those skills um, with with what the employer is looking for, um, I think it's just a it, it's a change of attitude. Mm. towards towards people with disabilities and and that perception that they actually um can't do jobs when they actually can do them it's just giving them a go really that's right it has a lot to do with shifting mindsets and changing community attitudes to how we perceive and how we support people living with a disability uh, to get into a job i think a lot of the times we need policies that capitalise on the strengths of people with disability um, rather than simply helping them overcome those limitations. I absolutely agree with you, 100%. Um, if we can't see ourselves in particular positions, like for example, a lot of people say, uh, for me, when I, when I had my amputation done eight years ago, um, one of the first questions I was asked was, so when are you going to get one of those running blade things? Mm. So people's perception of people with disabilities is, is in that sports arena. But they don't see people as lawyers, as doctors, as, as educators, um, as a hairdresser, um, and all, the, all those sort of everyday jobs because they don't see people with disabilities in those roles. So it's hard to, it's hard to, say, to, to, to set that precedent. So I think it's really coming down to the, the employer themselves, um, for want of a better way, just having a go at it and to, see, to, to, to employ someone with a disability to see what they can do in that space. Quite a large number of organisations uh, haven't yet employed someone with a disability uh, in fear of it affecting their business or organisation. And then for those who have tried, felt that those candidates aren't particularly suitable for employment. Then there are others who express concern about their organisation's ability to onboard and support those kinds of people. So is there enough support for those businesses and organisations who employ people with disabilities? What can we do uh, to build confidence in organisations that they are capable of employing people with disabilities? There's, there's a bunch of uh, organisations around Australia and one in particular comes to mind, which is, which is called the Australian Network on Disabilities. And they do a lot of work around uh, employer confidence. So they, they go in and help employers to understand what it's like to employ someone with a disability, what services are available to them through through places like Job Access, which can come in and do um, uh, reasonable and necessary adjustments to workshops and workspaces so that they can, they can have a person with a disability working there. So if you use an example of someone who is vision impaired, uh, work uh, job access could come in and help the employer to get things like um, to change a workspace around so that that vision impaired person can sit at a desk. Um, things like computer software, things like uh, desks and chairs and things like that, just so, so just so it makes it, it um, accessible to the person with a disability. That then becomes the the employer becomes more confident that that person can do that job, and then that relationship just builds on there. 
It's been noted uh, that making progress on, you know, accommodating people with intellectual disabilities should be a particular priority because research indicates that people with a history of mental illness or an intellectual disability are uh, particularly stigmatised by employers. And, and that's to the extent that in some cases, employers aren't willing to employ a person with a disability um, due to misconception about the cost of modifications and adaptive technology. So, you know, the question is, how can we better assist people with intellectual disability and autism into employment? Um, at, from from a physical disability stance, it's probably not uh, it's not a, a place where we really play. But in a lot of in a lot of worlds, um, I have a I have my son is uh, has an intellectual disability, so we have actually come across this personally. Mm. And I think it just comes down to the employer understanding what the person can and can't do, um, and not giving them tasks that are beyond their their reach, but then I, in the next breath, I'll also say that for most of the people that I know who, who have an intellectual disability or a psychosocial disability, they will be able to learn to do a job given the time and the, the space to do it. So then they be, if, they've give, if they've been given that, that and, they're, and they're confident in their work, they're confident that their employer is going to support them, then it can come back to that that really good solid relationship that that the employer then has a committed employee. Mm. It's really about you know connecting the right job to the right candidates, um, and that's where those recruitment agencies you know step in and, and can make a difference. But although uh, there may be additional equipment or modifications required at that place of business to accommodate their needs. Um, you know, there is a lot of support available to help those businesses. I mean, you know, look, look in your case, tell us a bit about what happened to you personally and how you managed to get into the workforce after your amputation. What kind of limitations did you face, if any, and how did the workforce better accommodate to you as an amputee? That's a really good question and thank you for asking it. Yeah. Um, I, I've spent most of my life um, being able-bodied, having two, having two legs. Mm. So I acquired my disability eight years ago and prior, immediately prior to um, that, to the, to the amputation, I was actually working, I had my own business, I was working as a direct support worker. Um, my wife and I set up our own company. Now that I was when I was doing that, I was working with mostly um, younger males and particularly on the autism spectrum and also with intellectual disabilities around doing social skills uh, and taking them out and things like that. So physically, when I had my amputation done, I, I, couldn't, do, I couldn't go back to doing that work. Mm. So I had to do a whole big rethink of what I was going to do. I applied for a bunch of uh, training and courses and some leadership development. And so I, I changed path and came back into the workforce in, in sort of like a consultancy um, space. So I ended up doing a lot of, I, I do a lot of consultancy work with organisations around their access, around their inclusion. Um, so it was just, it was really just a change of mindset for me. But some of the barriers I've experienced um, and not so much the people, but more about the places, mm. the actual physical access to buildings, the physical access to spaces that um, 
aren't really up to code for someone who is a, who's got mobility issues and then someone like myself who uses a wheelchair part-time. So that, that was a big challenge. That was a really big challenge. I remember working for one organisation and I couldn't even get in the front door um, for, for the office that they put me in. So it was that, that job didn't last very long. That's because they weren't willing to change it and it, 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 becomes, it becomes very difficult that way. Mm. So why do you think uh, a lot of these uh, organisations aren't willing to do something about it or change it or make that workplace more accessible to those, uh, especially with physical disabilities, you know, access the building? I think it's, um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a fear. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 the change is going to the change is not going to work or the change is not going to be good, uh, the change is going to take up too much time or too much money. Or that it's not um, worthwhile, you know, to make those sacrifices yeah. for that person, depending yeah, on, yeah, on yeah, how exactly. some people see it as though you know, if I'm desperate, yeah, I will cater <laughs> for that person, yep. but you know, I'm not willing to invest in uh, you know added resources and equipment yeah. uh, in order to facilitate opportunities for that person. But I think that should be a, a given. That should be provided in all buildings, in all places. You know, in some oh, country, absolutely. in some countries, you know, I think in Dubai, everything's just accessible uh, to those with yep. uh, physical disabilities yeah. to the extent that those who are wheelchair-bound can actually access the beach themselves without any yeah. added support. Yep, absolutely. Um, in a utopian society, that would be perfect. Um, when we have a, a society that has no stairs, a society that has lifts that work, a society that has doors that automatically open, um, all sorts of things like that. And, and I think we've made good strides towards that, but there's so much more work to be done. And that's what Physical Disability Australia exists for, is to... I suppose a nice way to put it is to prompt people to understand and remember that, you know, the disability sector, the people with disabilities make up nearly 20, about 22.5% of the population. So for a business who is not accessible, it's losing out on 22% of of, of potential income. A venue that's not accessible loses out on 22% of potential income. Exactly. So... You know, um, people with disabilities have discretionary income. You know, some the, the ones that do work, they want to go out, they want to go to places, they want to access the same stuff that that, that um, able-bodied people do. Uh, but if if there's the barriers of a door or, wheel, uh, or a um, set of stairs or something like that, then it becomes very very difficult for them to do that, and they and they will boycott it, mm-hmm. and they will talk to their friends as well, and so they'll only end up going to places where they actually are accepted. And that acceptance is through that through that access. Absolutely, it's about shifting their focus. I guess they need to see it as you know providing accessibility to those who have an impairment or disability. They need to see it as an investment because it it benefits Absolutely. it benefits their organisation. It's it's profitable to do that. Absolutely, um, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, a ramp into a building doesn't only just help a wheelchair user. Mm. It helps um, the, the mum and dad pushing the pram. It helps the elderly folk with their walkers. It, 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 makes, it makes sense to have universal access. Absolutely. Um, but it, it just seems to be one of those things that it, it, it gets put in the too hard basket or the oh, we'll get around to it basket <laughs> and, and then it yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. So building that you know, inclusive, diverse 
workforce can really benefit both employees and the organisation. So added to that, what what kind of other benefits or advantages can people with disabilities bring to organisations? Oh, look, um, I think that you're... For someone, for an example, someone who's a wheelchair user sees the world in a whole different way than someone who who, who walks, who uses, who ambulates. So, they, they, we are always looking out for places, easier access, things like that. For someone who who is able-bodied, they don't necessarily see that. For someone who's on the autism spectrum, who is really, really good with computers and can sit down for hours on hours and and nut out how a computer works and what it does and a program and they can program and they can, they see things differently. So it brings that diversity aspect into a business and you, a lot of businesses can um, job carve and they can make, um, they can make their jobs more accessible to people with disabilities in, in very simple ways. So it might the person may not want to work full time, but they may have enough work to job carve to cut a job at half and give half to someone with a disability so that, that and that they are going to really accept that. They're going to be really, really happy to have the job and they're going to stay there as long as they're treated with the respect that they're due. It's about not looking at the disability, but looking at the ability of that person. We need to see the opportunities that disability brings. And you mentioned an example of someone with autism. And I I read up recently that companies like Microsoft are deliberately recruiting people with autism because they have enhanced abilities to see patterns and pick up mistakes faster and more accurately than their peers. So that's that's incredible, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's how we have to start thinking. Um, Microsoft would never employ me ever. <laughs> Why not? Why not though? Because I, I, I struggle to turn my computer on. Oh, yeah. I might actually use it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, you know. So, so why not employ someone who's who who is wired to do that sort of work and loves that sort of work? I mean, that just makes it makes good business sense Absolutely. to target that particular person for that particular job. Exactly. And, and looking at it now, you know, in this day and age, industries across the economy are struggling to fill job vacancies. So that's where people with a disability can play a role in, in solving that issue, right? Absolutely. 100%. And that's why we've called on the government to, to let us at that table. Because we we're the ones who've got the answers. Because we live this every day. Mm. This is not this is not this is not um, theory. This is practice. This is true, honest practice. We do this every single day. The amount of people that I speak to, who, you know, they'll go, they'll apply for job after job after job, and as soon as they put down on their resume or in an interview that's mentioned that they've got a disability, mm-hmm. shutters come down, and and we all know that that's that's illegal. They're not allowed to do that, yeah. but it's that inherent um, uh, covert uh, discrimination, and I think a lot of a lot of businesses don't mean to do it but they just don't know how to deal with it. Absolutely. So we need to really train the way people think. Now is the perfect opportunity to access that talent pool within our country because at the end of the day, it's a huge untapped resource of incredibly skilled people that should be working in mainstream organisations. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Physical Disability Australia put out a position statement on, um, like, I, I, I'm assuming you're aware that 
the the there's there's an acting CEO in the, the National Disability Insurance Agency, yeah, and yep. they hunt to recruit a new CEO. And also, there's the the position of the chair of the board of the NDIA is open at the moment. So we, we we're also calling on the federal government to to actively recruit a person with a disability for those roles. Why should why should not the, the agency that is tasked with looking after 500,000 Australian people with a budget of 50 million a uh, 50 billion dollars why should that not be run by a person with a disability? Exactly. It makes sense to give that role to someone with a disability because you know I think there's also the issue of the challenge doesn't end once a person with a disability secures a job because evidence suggests that they are overrepresented in low-skilled jobs, more likely uh, to work in jobs for which they are overqualified and they have reduced access to uh, career progression opportunities. Yep, hundred percent. And that happens a lot in the in, with the um, with folks on the autism spectrum, and also with those with intellectual disabilities. They can't. That the 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 employers look at them and go, okay, they're good at this job, but there's no. They don't see that they can career progress them yeah. into management or just to leadership. Um, I've got many many stories of, of of young folks who've worked in hospitality with intellectual disabilities, and they've ended up training other staff because they've been in those jobs for eight to ten years they've ended up training other staff to do those jobs but they've always been overlooked for those management roles or those leadership roles exactly. team leader roles things like that um so i think it's it's a i think it's a matter of the employers um have to come to the table the government has to come to the table and they have to nut out a way of making this work mm. Yeah, we're in uh, 2022, so you know we we should be in a different uh, position. You know we should be. Oh, absolutely. We should have achieved a lot more than what we have achieved so far. There's still so much more work to be done, and and I think you've reached a, a point in your life where you're fed up. You know, it's it's time to take action. Yeah. It's time to change and shift our focus and give that the priority. Give it a, a priority attention. Absolutely, hundred percent. And and if it takes a bit of support to get somebody into a job and train them up in that job, we know, as I said before, the statistics are there. We know they're going to stay there longer. We know they're going to be very, very productive. Mm. So it's it really is a simple matter of giving them a go. You know? Exactly. But, but, we have to switch this bias and this perception that people with disabilities can't do these jobs, that people with disabilities don't work. I could line you up 50 people in uh, in leadership roles, um, but they, they're, they're topped out at their careers. They can't go any higher. And that's just sad when because, and, and I honestly believe it's just because we don't see them. We don't see people with disabilities in those senior roles. Exactly. Um, look at Parliament. Look at Parliament where we sit at the moment. Um, the only one that I know of who identifies as having a disability, um, Green Senator Jordan Steele John, um, very vocal activist, very vocal advocate for people with disabilities. But he's the only one in in the whole of the Australian Parliament. So, what kind um, of disability so, does he have? Is it uh, invisible? Uh, he's a full-time wheelchair user. Yeah. Um, yep. He's. Um, oh gosh. I, I, I'm not going to, I'll, yeah. I'll probably get it wrong. So he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, he's a full-time wheelchair user. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, funnily enough, when he got into politics, 
they had to change the hot they had to build him an accessible bathroom and all this sort of stuff in parliament house so it was a bit of a wake-up call to the australian government and mm. to the, the the government infrastructure that oh hang on you know We've got a guy who was a full-time wheelchair user here. We actually have to change things a little bit. So even there, you know, when Parliament House, the new Parliament House was built, it wasn't built accessible. Mm. So it was a huge wake-up call to them. Okay, someone has reached, someone with a disability, a physical disability has achieved the role of being in Parliament. So I think that's when they realised, okay, now we need to start working on it. Yes, it would, but it would have been nice if they started working on it 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's never too late. It's just that we're behind the eight ball. Exactly. Um, look, I, think, I think where we sit at the moment in today's society, um, there's there's so much more. The, the media is so much more fast-paced. Yeah. Um, it's, it's instant now. Back in the old days, I mean, I'm 53 years old. So back in the old days, you know, like a, a, a news story might take a week to produce. Now, now you guys are putting stuff out instantaneously. Exactly. So it's become more prevalent. Um, yeah. I think it was prevalent back then, but now it's more prevalent because it's quicker. And information is getting out faster. Stories are getting out faster. And people are becoming a lot more aware that people with disabilities are out there and we are we are banging on people's doors looking for representation and we're banging on people's doors looking for um, inclusion. And when I say that, I'm talking true inclusion. Not, don't just put us at the table, but listen to what we've got to say. And anything to do anything to do with us should be led by us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now, you know, as you said, it's also become a lot easier to build on those employment skills, experience and confidence. I mean, it didn't take you long before, you know, you acquired those necessary skills that you need to get to where you are today. So it's not hard. No. We have the technology, we have the resources, things are a lot more fast paced and, and we can adapt a lot quicker so you yep. should really get on top of it. Like you said, it's it's Absolutely. not too late. We are a bit behind, but it's never too late, you know, to make a change. So we mentioned that uh, there are clear indications that building an inclusive, diverse workforce benefits both your employees and your organisation. But in addition to that, including people with disabilities can have a positive impact on their health and well-being, especially when we've reached a point in society where mental health issues have incredibly, you know, reached its peak. So tell us about the impact that would have on someone with a disability being included in the workforce the way that you'd like it to be. I think that you've, you've touched on an area there that is, is very, it's not very much talked about, but it should come out into the light a lot more. And that is that the impact on a person's mental health. And this is not something that is specific to people with disabilities. This is across the board. Um, we, we are told by media and we're told by the government that there's lots, lots of jobs out there. And a lot of people, you know, when they apply for jobs and they get knocked back, it's, 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 it becomes a bit of a, a kink in their armour. And if they get knocked back enough, they're just going to give up. Yeah. And then that, then we are talking like major mental health issues coming out of that. So yeah. for a person with a disability who's already underrepresented, underrepresented, then they get knocked back for two or three or four jobs. Um, 
they, they're just going to give up and they're not going to do it. So it, it, it's going to, we are, we, I don't believe yet we have seen the true impact of that. I think that's coming. Yeah. Um, the, the true impact of, of, of that, that the, the, all the issues, but particularly around employment is going, is going to cause a lot of stress into the future. That's right. Especially- and that's why we are yeah. calling on the government to change it. And we want, we want to be at that table to tell them that this is what is actually going on in our communities. Well, you are heading towards the the right direction and, you know, there is still quite a long time before we achieve, you know, inclusive workplaces. And and while we do have a long way to go, it's not too late to start doing something about it today. And and that's why, you know, with the upcoming Jobs and Skills Summit, you know, we want it to be a priority because it is a priority. Working towards, you know, those environments where everyone can feel encouraged and supported to bring their best selves to work, that is fundamental to narrowing the disability employment gap. Look, Andrew, I thoroughly enjoyed this chat today. Incredibly insightful, very eye-opening and and so important to bring this to the forefront and open people's eyes. Thank you so much. No, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all on Keeping Up With The Current. Get your news fix for the day. Stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on Keeping Up With The Current.